Hey, this is Connecticut Voice Podcast with Kion Wolf. I'm Kion Wolf. Kids who are on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum have to deal with stuff that no one else does. And you add race to that mix and things get even more complicated. So who can kids turn to? Who can parents turn to? Enter Kamora Harrington with True Colors. Now, full disclosure, when I began to come out as a teenager in the 90s, it was True Colors, where I went to my first support group to meet fellow non-straight people, where I met my first girlfriend, and where I went to my first queer prom. So clearly I'm a fan. Now, Kimura runs True Colors mentoring program, where she matches kids, babies, as she calls them, with older people who can help. But she's got a lot of variables to work with. I mean, what traits is she looking for in someone who can help? And what does help even look like? And what don't we vintage folk get about life as a young human being on this spectrum? Kimura came over to my house where we recorded this conversation, which is, you should know, peppered with enthusiastic profanity. Also, you may or may not hear my producer, our cat Whiskey, meowing in the background. Anyway, I wanted to start from square one, so I asked Kimora to sum up exactly what she does. I do gay stuff with gay folks. (laughs) I run a mentoring program for queer youth in out-of-home care. So that is basically foster care, whatever the child welfare system wants to call it, but kids who, for whatever reason, the state has decided can't live with their families anymore. And we match them with beautiful, wonderful human beings, beautiful, wonderful, flawed human beings from the from the community who sit with them through the crappy times of life, celebrate the wonderful times of life, and more than anything else, are a witness to a young person going from whatever it is to be a child to whatever it is to be an adult. When you look at what the outcomes are for kids who are in the situation that our kids are in, those outcomes usually are not what many of us would want to consider to be success. And we work really hard at getting people to love themselves and accept themselves and see themselves as a part of a larger group and that success. Finding the success and love of self. Finding the success fitting in in whatever that way that is. And that can be being the weirdo freak on the outside, but you've got a community that loves your weirdo freakiness. Or figuring out how to conform because for whatever reason, conformity is very, very important to you. And so this is how you conform. But we go out looking for as many different types of human beings as we possibly can. And very often as a person who's pulling in volunteers, it's super easy to find yourself. So I'm often looking for the exact opposite of myself to pull in. I'm a strong personality. My kids can look at me and decide, oh, my God, I want to be just like Kimora. It's super important that they meet lots and lots of other people who have strength in other ways so they can see different ways of being. What kind of situations are you seeing young people coming from? What's going wrong Lack of access across the board and allow that to mean whatever it is that you want it to mean. Families that want... Okay, so I've been at True Colors for almost 15 years now. In that time, I've developed my own personal mission statement. And that is, I exist to create space where families are free to love their children. And a big part of that is because in the work that I do, I see that families are not free to love their children. It could be peer pressure from other parents. It could be peer pressure... Or it could be pressure from... A grandmother telling her daughter that if you let my grandson be that way, then I can't deal with you anymore. Um, But I'm seeing a lack of space and time and ease. Families don't have time to sit in the discomfort of this new thing. Because you end up with this queer kid. And the truth is, if we could just step back and be beautiful people, it's a gift. You've got a whole new way of being that's a part of your family that you may have never, ever thought of before. But it's a new perspective, it's a new view, and it should be seen as such. We are living in such a time of 
fear and groupthink, where when a kid comes out as queer, when a kid comes out as gay, when a kid comes out as gender variant, when a kid comes out as trans, families are not equipped to handle this change, to handle this new thing, and we as a society don't give them what they need. The number one most protective factor for our queer babies is an accepting and affirming family. That is the number one most protective factor. What are our comedians saying? What's happening on television? What are people talking about in offices? We are not creating the spaces where parents can be open and out and supportive of their queer kids. And I think that that is the biggest barrier. A lot of folks who think that they're here to help our young people, we will meet a mother. That mother will say, my kid is queer, or my kid, my kid told me that they think that they are gay, and that's disgusting and bad, and I need you to fix them. And so many of us who are activists hear that and understand that our job is to remove that child from that awful situation instead of seeing that this is a family that has been thrown this brand new way of being that they have not figured out how to handle and deal with and grok and move into. And if you can just step back and say, well, mom, wow, I hear you. So what's going on? What are your fears? Because very often mom's fear is AIDS. Mom's fear is social con. Mom's, mom's got a whole bunch of fears that come across as hatred, that come across as rejection. And really you're dealing with fierce family love and protection that because of a whole bunch of extra crap that we all have decided to throw on this, that no kid needs, no kid needs. As we're going through adolescence and we're figuring out who we are, we do not need politics on top of it. We don't need anything other than ourselves and our families and our family in whatever way we define that. So ourselves, our families, and those who we love to navigate this and figure out who we are together. That's not how we live. And, and again, very often, unfortunately, too many of us in the helping profession see what we see as rejection and want to help by removing a child from the people who look like them, smell like them, and truthfully love them. They just need some support, some guidance, and very often a real, like really, a very real toolkit to walk through this change in who they are as a family. So what's in that toolkit? So what I physically like to put in the toolkit is I enjoy getting to when mom or dad or auntie or whoever that adult is, the person who's not cool with it, what year did they graduate high school? And then I like to go to what the heck did we know about the queer community then? And that is a very important piece of that toolkit. Um, so that is what I do with my young people. So the young people, it's like, okay, so your mom, she's scared. And we also do the times three. So how long did it take you to go from figuring out you're different to figuring out you're queer in some way to opening up your face and telling another human being, okay, your mother's old and slow. Multiply it by three. That's as much time as we're going to give her. You came out. Give her 48 hours. Your mother's allowed to be insane. She has 48 hours of insanity. And we are going to practice grace. So we are going to get together and we are going to talk about the ridiculous things. You are gay because I allowed you to wear pants on Easter when you were six and your grandmother told me you couldn't. And we give her that beautiful piece of insanity and we move on. And for moms and for dads and for family members, I try really hard to stay in hearts and minds and how do we feel and how do we love each other. But for some folks, statistics are very, very important. Reports and research is incredibly important. Um, And sharing with those families what rejection of their child will look like in the long run. For real, giving mothers reports and literally saying, I completely hear you. And do you want your kid to die? Because this is where we are. So what is it about this that scares you? So in that toolkit, very often... 
it is space to allow a mother to say, this is disgusting and scares me. Literally. Parents need time to be. We live in a society where we don't believe in the gray. We believe that gay is bad, gay is good. We believe that a mother accepts her child, that a mother doesn't accept her child. And not giving her the space to move through. And it's funny because I use the language of transition a lot, and I'll see people's faces change because they know that I'm speaking of one type of transition. But I'm also talking about the transformation that it takes inside of a human being to see that the life that you thought that you were living is not that life. Everyone's going to have a couple bumps in that. We throw the queer thing on and act as if we don't know how to handle it, forgetting the fact that all of us at some point have made decisions that might not have been the decisions that the adults who handled us wanted us to make. It's like there's a certain amount of um, humbling that needs to, to take place in order to make any sort of evolution in our lives. And being humbled is not something we're particularly used to feeling. No, and it's not something that anyone enjoys feeling. Like It's not a good feeling. It feels icky. Mm. Vulnerable. Necessary. Human. No one wants to admit that they're human. Are you kidding? <laughs> of all things. No, don't, don't do that. Yeah, humans feel things. No. All right, so you have a magic wand. I have given you a magic wand. Thank you. You're welcome. You may use it Yay. to solve one aspect of a problem that you continually face for the last 15 years at True Colors. Queer adults believing that they understand the issues of queer teenagers because they once were queer teenagers themselves. I'm sorry, but if you're 40, you did not have Tumblr. You are not allowed Mm. at all to think that you have any clue what our gay babies are going through today. For our trans kids, you know about hormone blockers, 40-year-old? Shut up then. Just shut up. Well, I was gay in 1978. I don't care. I was gay in 1989. It was nothing at all like this. I think about mentoring programs as a whole, and very often adults do not believe that their way of being is the same as a teenager's way of being. In our community, across the board, there's this this worship of youth. In the queer community, there's definitely a worship of youth, which means that a 40-year-old, and I love calling old gays gays, (laughs) I really hope that some gays over 40 are listening to this and understand how much glee I take, how much glee and joy I take in talking about old gays and watching their faces. Because they will happily talk about these kids, these teenagers, these kids, these teenagers. Oh, those are the words that you can use? Okay, so us as old people, (laughs) I wouldn't say I'm old. Well, then what the fuck are you? (laughs) And who do you think you are? And why do you think that you can be an influential and at all help in their lives. And the one thing that I wish that I could just with a magic wand get them all to understand across the board is that you have power, you're an adult. You have privilege, you're an adult. You have all of these wonderful things, these privileges that go along just with the fact that you made it past 25. That's it. You, you gay adult who's able to work somewhere in the world and you've got time to volunteer your time If you can't own your privilege and understand that you are an ally to queer youth, you're not a peer, you're in no way a peer to queer youth. You're an ally and a supporter and a grown-up and a role model. But with my magic wand, I think that that would be the most important thing. It is in no way safe to tell a 14-year-old queer kid who's scared by the world that you share the same fears, that you understand exactly what they're going through when, as you continue speaking, it's clear to them that you didn't. When we abdicate our responsibility by pretending that we're not adults and that we're right here with you, we're making the world that much less safe for our queer babies. 
I can be a firebrand very, very often. I can go out in the world and yell and scream and stand in the face of injustice and say, you are hurting children. And that's what creates this place of safety in me for our children. Not because I sit up and cry about how hard their lives are. That's wonderful and that feels good. And sometimes you do need a human being to cry with you and say, this is horrible. And other times you need someone to say, this is horrible, this is bad, you should not be going through this, you are a child, luckily I am here, I'm the adult, and I will make it better. And coming back to that magic wand, that is something that all too often us as queer adults abdicate. Well, well, what are the kids saying? What are they thinking? They're fucking 14, who the fuck cares? They're screaming that they don't die. We understand policy. We understand laws. We understand, we have been here for a bit of time, and we can fucking vote. But we're going to sit back and allow 15-year-olds to tell us what to do. you got to be kidding. There's a place where adultism can truly get into that. There's a place where I can think that I know more than other people. And that, that's something that we all need to check constantly. But watching my babies come to me with the horrible, awful pieces of their life because they know, and again, don't forget, most of my kids are in out-of-home care. The state has decided that the human beings who should take care of them can't take care of them. Those children need a fierce adult to say, what's happening to you is wrong. I can't imagine what that would be like for me. Kayon, <laughs> what our kids know and what we very often forget is unless one of us with a degree and some age steps up and says this is wrong, it's not going to be wrong. And our children are going to be abused and hurt. There's this very real place where we need to pay very close attention at not being adultist, at not trying to run young people's lives, but at stepping up and taking the mantle and being the adult in the situation and understanding that our gay babies, you hear me say it all the time, there's a reason, the language that I use, I use on purpose. I will never call a gay child under 16 a young adult. I will never do that. You will never hear that come out of my face. Because when we say that, we're assigning so much to them that they're not at all prepared for, that they can't deal with. We need to stop pretending that our babies are something more than babies. When you're trying to figure out who's going to be that kick-ass, the old gay who can step up and say, okay, I recognize this, this baby needs help. This baby needs guidance and compassion and cover. How do these people get vetted? How do we find these people? And there you go. <laughs> um, and you just hit a really hard part because unfortunately so many of those people can't pass DCF background checks. So let's go adding all the fun intersectional stuff to it. Far too many of our young brown queer men have had to resort to sex work in order to take care of themselves. Far too many of those human beings have been arrested because of that. Those human beings are not able to mentor our kids. The truth is, you're a queer woman. I'm a queer woman. We know that they find our kids anyway. We know that our kids get to the bars before they're old enough, get to the bars when they're old enough, and humans find each other in the ways that they're going to find each other. I have seen some young people connect with older adults who will never pass a DCF background check that person can never be an official mentor through True Colors, but that person has been able to walk a young person through what they need to get through. And then let's come back to the folks who do pass those DCF background checks. The truth is the hardest part is getting them to understand that they're important. You believe that your life isn't remarkable, but you're 40 and you, you got made kids. It. You, you made it. The amount of people who've, been, who've led 
ridiculous full lives, but are sure that they can't be mentors because they have not gotten a college degree is ridiculous. And then the amount of human beings who've gotten college degrees who think that they can be mentors because they've got college degrees is just as ridiculous. So in the mentor training, there's a piece that we do that's a life map. And that's really getting a whole bunch of strangers to put their life on a piece of paper together and then share it. If you can share yourself, you're a mentor. If you can't share yourself, you're not a mentor. So you remember the It Gets Better project? So the It Gets gets Better template, there was something different about me. I didn't know what it was. I realized I was queer. I told a very trusted person, usually my mom. My mom helped me through it. I then told other people it was hard to get through, but then we got through. And look at me now. I have a degree. I've got a partner. We have children. We own a house. Isn't life great? That person's never a mentor. If that ends up on a life map, that's not a mentor. There's nothing true about that. That's not the truth. Not for these kids. No, not for these kids, but really not for many of us. And I think that for many of us queer adults, we've created that story because it gets through. We don't want to remember that our mother didn't talk to us for a year because it got better. We figured out how to get past it. Let's lean on it gets better. Let's lean on that. But that 17-year-old, how can I make my mother love me again? That And and, oh my goodness, so I'm thinking of like one very specific story. And it was someone who used to get in bed with her mother every night and have these beautiful conversations. And some nights she'd fall asleep in her mother's arms. Another night she would get up and go to bed. But every night this happened. And one night in her mother's arms, she came out as the lesbian who she was. That was the last night she was in her mother's bed. That person now today has a wonderful relationship with her mother. That person's story could be that bullshit, it gets better story. I told this person, it was kind of rough, but we got past it. And it still bothers me 20 years later that I never laid in my mother's bed with her again after that. You're a mentor. You can share of yourself and you can sit in that discomfort. I have quite a few mentors who sit in the most unbelievable, disgusting stories without the ability to make it better, without the ability to change anything but they can sit in it. And there's such, like the amount of strength that it takes to sit in discomfort, you'd like to make things better too, don't you? I love to make things better. I love to say, okay, this is a problem. Don't worry. I got it. And taking care of it. My mentees are young people figuring out who they're going to be on this earth. They're not figuring out how to please me. They're not on this earth trying to figure out how to please their mentors. Often our job is to give them all the information we have and step back as they make decisions that we would never approve of and say, this is your life. Do what you need to do. This is something that you're clearly really passionate about. Why do you do this? Because I know what would happen if I didn't. For all of the reasons. So my mother is white. My father is black. Um, I had my first child when I was 18. I adopted my second child when I was 41. I have lived at all of these strange, interesting places. (sighs) I've been there for 15 years. The world that we live in has changed. The idea of owning privilege, discussing privilege, having privilege be a part of the regular everyday conversation is almost new. We'll just say that's new. If I were not doing what I'm doing, many of our brown queer babies would be shafted in ways that none of us, in all the ways that our minds go to in those ugly places, in all the ways that our minds don't want us to go to. I've been there far too long to to at all not believe that this is going to work. How do you define your sense of hope, if that's the right word? Because John Locke believed in it and I'm here. Quite honestly, 
this is real work. This is lifetime work. And I read something recently that said in 50 years, folks might look at us with our cell phones, knowing that all of us understand that our cell phones are created with slave labor and what the heck was wrong with these horrible human beings who allowed this to go. I'm one in a number. That is what I am. I feel as if I'm playing my role the way that I should, but it's not going to flip to that world that we want before I die. But I'm here to to do the work, and I have to do the work. And there are some amazing human beings before me. Actually, today, for whatever reason, Zora Neale Hurston popped up. She was not at all celebrated when she was here. She did the amazing work that we needed. She's one of my sheroes. Ida B. Wells, another one, not celebrated in her lifetime, kind of ridiculed, did incredibly important work that we've built on. This is this one lifetime. We are here for a very finite period of time to try to bring joy and light in whatever it is that we're here for. But I'm one in the number continuing to try to create space for humanity. What do you want on your gravestone? There's this beautiful old gospel song called May the Work I've Done Speak for Me. And it's, it's beautiful. It's, you know, may the life I've lived speak for me. And for me, that's the most important part. I'm a bright person and I use words well. And I can talk my way into and out of almost anything. And I can justify pretty much anything with my words. So the way to hold myself honest and accountable is to step back and understand, no, let the work I've done speak for me. I can explain the mistakes I've made. Like, I I have made decisions that have hurt children. And I really, really, really hope that in the long run, things have worked themselves out. I can tell you that I've spoken to children, older children, and said, wow, you know, I didn't know this when we were doing this. I am really sorry. This is is where we are. I hate to tell you that I learned from you, (laughs) but I've learned from you. But the most important part is that I don't create the story that says that everything I've done has been beautiful, but that I can sit in the story that says I did the best I could and I acknowledged when I didn't. Um, Yeah, like, dude, if I could leave one thing on this earth, I fucked up. Like, if I could leave one thing on this earth to create a place where every human being can say, I did something that was not what I should have done and it hurt humans. Like that, if we could all get to that. I think I see so much of folks trying to cover up the mistakes because we can't see that. Dude, I see it. We all see it. I can tell you that one of the things that's the most dangerous about me for other folks is that I own me. I am ridiculously dangerous because I got a lot of fucking flaws. And I don't celebrate them and think that they're wonderful, but they're mine. It's impossible for us to have talked about everything that we would want to talk about for this show. But is there anything that we haven't talked about that you really want to bring up? Lesbian aunties. Yes. Lesbian aunties. Okay. As we have been more and more accepted by the mainstream community, we have decided to allow some of our culture to fall to the wayside. Auntie Mame may or may not have been a lesbian. I don't know. But she was a single auntie who brought joy. I completely believe that we all have roles, we all have lanes, we all have purposes, and we're here for reasons. I'm a lesbian who happens to be a mother twice, so I don't get to be the lesbian auntie. But in a society where you expect people to thrive, there need to be parents, and there need to be those other people who are not parents doing the enrichment fun stuff. Mm -hmm. 
that whole it takes a village to raise a child, I believe that completely. And I believe that there need to be gay uncles and lesbian aunties who are not out here trying to be like heterosexuals. Please stop being gray. You don't need to go make a whole bunch of babies and pay mortgages and live boring lives dictated by PTA. I want to know that there's beautiful lesbians out there eating great cheese, going on amazing <laughs> vacations, sending the best postcards back and sending their nieces and nephews to the coolest camps in the Adirondacks ever. Gay people stop acting like straight people. They are gray. They are not as much fun as us. And we got that marriage thing. Cute. Okay. So we pretended that we were just like them. They gave us a few rights. They're trying to take our rights away. Hold your power Grab your queerness and run with it and let them understand I'm queer. I'm not like you. I don't want to be like you. You should try to figure out how to be like us because we are so much more evolved than your sorry, gray, heterosexual, scared asses. There you go. There you go. That was Kimora Harrington, mentoring program coordinator for True Colors, a support and advocacy organization for sexual minority youth based in Hartford, Connecticut. If you want to learn more about their mentoring program and all the other cool things they do, check them out at OurTrueColors.org. And if you have someone who you think would be awesome on this podcast, please contact me, podcast at ctvoice.com. Thank you so much for listening to Connecticut Voice Podcast with Kion Wolf. If you like this show and you want us to grow, please subscribe to it and share this episode on your social medias. And leaving us a review really helps the algorithm gods float us to the top. And of course, check out Connecticut Voice Magazine for more great interviews and photos. It's a brand new quarterly brought to you by the People at Seasons Magazine, and I'm really excited about how this podcast and the magazine complement each other. Check them out and sign up to get yours at ctvoicemag.com. This whole podcast shindig is brought to you by Connecticut Voice Magazine and by me. My production company is at kionewolf.com, where you can see all the cool shows I've got for you, and you can sign up for my newsletter too. Find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Instas at Wolf. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in.